Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. From the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library here in Sultry Savannah, this is Obscure Season 3, Wuthering Heights. I am your host, your friend, your ear lover, your literary mansplainer-in-chief and Georgianologist, Michael Ian Black, your southern gentleman with the gentle plan, feeling hungover. Now, when most people feel hungover, I imagine it's the result of libations, that is, elixirs, that is, tonics and such, imbibed of the alcoholic variety. And it is devil's milk, that alcohol. That, and and then you drink too much of it, and then the next day, you know, you feel like crap. Well... My hangovers come from a different source altogether, just as gluttonous, but not nearly as alcoholic. I drove yesterday, two hours south, to the merry town of Jacksonville, Florida, for a little uh, adult entertainment, and by that... I am referring to poker. You probably know already, or if you don't, I am a somewhat enthusiastic poker player. I am, however, a not very accomplished poker player, but enjoy it. I do. And yesterday, uh, I decided to travel down the 95 to Jacksonville, Florida, to the best bet casino and card room there, uh, a place that I frequent with some regularity, despite its distance from my home, which is considerable. And I arrived there at the poker table at, let's say, about, oh, 
1.30 in the afternoon, 2 o'clock in the afternoon or so, stood up from the poker table at, oh, I don't know, let's say 8 a.m., 8 a.m., and then drove home, stopping only to uh, recharge my car and eat a somewhat baleful breakfast at Denny's in Brunswick, Georgia, scene of the Ahmad Aubrey killing. Although I was my first time in Brunswick, Georgia, and I will say that the Denny's that I visited on my way back from the poker room was filled with uh, uh, white folks, black folks, everybody is a big Denny's, everybody sitting down having terrific Denny's food together. And that, that gave me some measure of comfort and relief. And comfort and relief I needed after that marathon poker session. Poker players understand this feeling of being unable to rise from the table once you have sat down at it. Now, I don't mean to say that I, did, I literally did not stand up from the table. For all those many hours, I did, in fact, get up and go to the bathroom and, uh, you know, stretch my legs and charge my phone and, and do the things that a, a person does who isn't in the throes of gambling mania, but um, very little of that. Mostly, I was sitting at the table watching my chips dwindle, dwindle, dwindle. You know, you get to a point where you go, well, I'm not, I'm not going to get up from the table until I've crawled my way back to even. I'm either going to lose everything or I'm going to get back to even. And friends, I don't think I need to tell you how this session ended. Exactly. It ended with me losing everything. And that's painful. Painful to rise from the poker table, having entered when the sun was up the previous day and leaving when the sun is up the following day. That, that walk of shame is a, is a walk unlike any other, I think. Certainly any other that I experience in my day-to-day -day life. So even as I speak to you now, several hours after having returned home, several hours uh, removed from my tragedy, and about an hour removed from the nap that I took. I speak to you now with my head on, resting on my fist, uh, hunched over my research machine that I speak into, eyes closed, because even to open them requires some kind of effort that I don't know if I am able to give. But... We have our obligations. Mine are to you. And, uh, you know, we all have our manias. Certainly Catherine has hers. She has descended into, very quickly I might add, descended into madness. Madness, I say. As she is in her room, uh, 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 you know, half-starved and... Uh, declaring herself to be on death's door due to the shock to her system having really um, 
done nothing at all except you know just yell and scream and throw things and get upset and whatever and and Edgar's, Edgar's mad at her and Heathcliff's mad everybody's mad at everybody and so she has decided that she's about to die and for the first time through the mention of Peniston Crag or Penis Stone Crag and that's not me being crass that is sort of the pun that uh, apparently Bronte was going for according to the footnote in the book. But for the first time now, we are thinking about the sexual problem at the heart of Wuthering Heights. And this is not my idea. This comes from the footnote. And, and it surprised me to think that there was a sexual problem, but because that didn't seem to me like there was. But apparently that's, that's the whole deal. There's some sort of the issue at hand is the twinning of Catherine and Heathcliff giving rise to the the sexual problem, which I, I haven't quite clearly identified what that is yet, because it seems to me like this is typical boy-girl stuff. You know, the, the closeness between them may be atypical, that sort of interconnectedness that they have, that, that inter, inter-twin, twin twining that they have. But what exactly is the problem? Sexually speaking, I'm not. I'm not exactly sure. But anyway, it says. Uh, let me get back to uh, Mrs. Dean is, or, or Catherine saying to Mrs. Dean, "I see in you, Nellie." She continued, dreamily, "An aged woman. You have gray hair and bent shoulders. This bed is the fairy cave under Penistone Crag, and you are gathering elf bolts to hurt our heifers, pretending while I am near." that they are only locks of wool. That's what you'll come to 50 years hence. I know you are not so now. I'm not wandering. You're mistaken. Or else I should believe you really were that withered hag. And I should think I was under Penistone Crag. And I'm conscious it's night. And there are two candles on the table making the black press shine like jet. The black press, where is that, I asked. You are talking in your sleep. It's against the wall, as it always is, she replied. It does appear odd. I see a face in it. There's no press in the room, and never was, said I, resuming my seat and looping up the curtain that I might watch her. Don't you see that face? She inquired, gazing earnestly at the mirror. And say what I could, I was incapable of making her comprehend it to be her own. So I rose and covered it with a shawl. It's behind there still, she pursued anxiously, and it's stirred. Who is it? I hope it will not come out when you are gone. Oh, Nelly, the room is haunted. I'm afraid of being alone. I took her hand in mine and bid her be composed, for a succession of shudders convulsed her frame, and she would keep straining her gaze towards the glass. There's nobody here, I insisted. It was yourself, Mrs. Linton. You knew it a while since. Myself, she gasped, and the clock is striking twelve. It's true, then. That's dreadful. Her fingers clutched the clothes and gathered them over her eyes. I attempted to steal to the door with an intention of calling her husband, but I was summoned back by a piercing shriek. The shawl had dropped from the frame. 
Why, what is the matter? cried I. Who is coward now? Wake up. That is the glass, the mirror, Mrs. Linton, and you see yourself in it. And there am I, too, by your side. Trembling and bewildered, she held me fast. But the horror gradually passed from her countenance. Its paleness gave place to a glow of shame. Oh, dear, I thought I was at home, she sighed. I thought I was lying in my chamber at Wuthering Heights. Because I'm weak, my brain got confused, and I screamed unconsciously, don't say anything, but stay with me. I dread sleeping. My dreams appall me. A sound sleep would do you good, ma'am. I answered, and I hope this suffering will prevent your trying starving again. Oh, if I were but in my own bed in the old house, she went on bitterly, wringing her hands, and that wind sounding in the firs by the lattice. Do let me feel it. It comes straight down the moor. Do let me have one breath. To pacify her, I held the casement ajar a few seconds. A cold blast rushed through. I closed it and returned to my post. She lay still now, her face bathed in tears. Exhaustion of body had entirely subdued her spirit, which is exactly how I feel. Exhaustion of body has subdued my spirit, friends. Our fiery Catherine was no better than a wailing child. How long is it since I shut myself in here? She asked, suddenly reviving. It was Monday evening, I replied, and this is Thursday night, or rather Friday morning at present. What? Of the same week, she exclaimed. Only that brief time. Long enough to live on nothing but cold water and ill temper, observed I. Well, I mean, again, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a bit verklempt, just as Catherine is, in not only to bodily exhaustion, but due to my, my feeble understanding of the physiognomy of the American body during this time period because there is no reason why a hale American like Catherine should have descended so far into madness and delirium after what essentially amounts to a lover's quarrel. And I'm not quite sure I understand the significance of all of this hallucinating what exactly she is seeing here. She's, she is seeing a face haunting her. She's saying the room itself is haunted. And of course, when Lockwood goes to Wuthering Heights, years hence, he will feel that room to be haunted. The, Catherine's own room, the room that she wishes she were in. But now she is at Thrush Cross Grange, and she is she's seeing this face and it's scaring her. She does not know who it is. She does not know why. She's afraid of being alone. She's afraid of sleep. The clock is striking 12, which I guess is a metaphor for death. It's true then. That's dreadful. And, you know, she doesn't, she doesn't want to be left alone. <sighs> what is it? What is it that she is aiming for in her fantasy of Wuthering Heights. Is it a return to the past? To innocent days with Heathcliff? Though those days never seemed quite so innocent. They have always seemed rather dreadful, have they not? So she's afraid to sleep. She's crying. She's upset. 
her fiery Catherine, no better than a wailing child, and, and, and she's lost all sense of time. She is sort of transported between two worlds in this moment. She has, in a sense, become her own ghost. But why? See, this is the thing that's kind of driving me crazy a little bit, the why of it all. What has gotten her, what has eaten into her so badly that it has unraveled her brain like low main noodles? I don't fully understand. Well, let's take a brief moment to contemplate, and then we'll be back here on a moment on Obscure. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We are back on Obscure. We are contemplating, as we do. You know, we love to contemplate here. And whether we are hungover or not, friends, there is a job to do. And that is the hard, heavy work of shallow, superficial literary analysis. And that is what I am here for. Your patient guide skipping across the surface of literature. I am capable of no more. Even in my best constitutional days, I am really capable of so very little. And really, Wuthering Heights, I think for the first time in our seasons together, has thrown me a bit uh, for a loop here because I don't fully understand the its depths. Not, that, not to say I fully understood Jude or I fully understood Frankenstein, but I feel like I was able to at least shine a flashlight down into those murky waters and get a sense of what we were trying to churn, you know, in those waters. What microbes and flora and fauna we were hoping to kind of stir up a little bit. But it's, it's different with Wuthering Heights. There's, 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 there's something here I'm just not getting. And that's why I think I latched onto that phrase, the sexual problem at the heart of Wuthering Heights, because I, 
I'm looking to understand what we are examining here. Why is this more than, you know, a kind of petty love story? And please don't misunderstand. I think it is. But I'm not sure I understand why. I'm recording this in, uh, in June of 2022. We're, we're, we're scheduled to have a book club tomorrow evening to discuss this problem because I really need some help here. And, you know, I, I could crank up the research machine and say, what the hell is this book about? But I am loath to do that, as you know. I, I, I like to plumb these depths on my own or with the help of book club members. We are free divers, as it were. You know, free diving when they, they, they just hold their breath and they swim down as far as they can and they hope not to die on the way back. Well, that's where I am right now, swimming uncomfortably towards the bottom and feeling that I may die. Now, that has more to do with the poker playing session than it does has to do with my own literary ineptitude, although that is great. My eyes are closed, incidentally, as I'm speaking to you. I think I may be half delirious myself. So I need to open them so that I can read on here in Wuthering Heights in chapter 12, which I never said we were about to pick up on chapter 12 in Wuthering Heights, but I'll do it now. Picking up chapter 12, Wuthering Heights. So long enough to live on nothing but cold water and ill temper, observed I. Well, it seems a weary number of hours, she muttered doubtfully. It must be more. I remember being in the parlor after they had quarreled, and Edgar being cruelly provoking, and me, Edgar being cruelly provoking, come on, Heathcliff, and me running into this room, desperate. As soon as ever I had barred the door, utter blackness overwhelmed me, and I fell on the floor. I couldn't explain to Edgar how certain I felt of having a fit or going raging mad if he persisted in teasing me. I had no command of tongue or brain, and he did not guess my agony, perhaps. It barely left me sense to try to escape from him and his voice. Before I recovered sufficiently to see and hear, it began to be dawn, and Nellie, I'll tell you what I thought." and what has kept recurring and recurring till I feared for my reason. Okay, good. So maybe this will uh, illuminate a little bit what we're supposed to be looking for. I thought, as I lay there with my head against that table leg and my eyes dimly discerning the gray square of the window, that I was enclosed in the oak-paneled bed at home. Okay, Remember that futon that Lockwood Lockwood gets into? You know the funny futon that you open it up and it's like a it's like a it's like a it's like a case that you get into, like a bookcase or like a like the like the wardrobe and the line the witch in the wardrobe. That's what you sleep in. That's the oak paneled bed that she's talking about, and that's where he felt himself to be haunted. It's that's where she is. I was enclosed in the oak paneled bed at home, and my heart ached with some great grief which just waking I could not recollect. I pondered and worried myself to discover what it could be, and most strangely, the whole last seven years of my life grew a blank. And what has happened in these last seven years? Who has been absent in these last seven years? Heathcliff, which is to say, her, the other half of herself. I did not recall that they had been at all. I was a child, 
My father was just buried. Well, I guess it hasn't been seven years since then. Well, I don't know. My father was just buried, and my misery ah, arose from the separation that Hindley had ordered between me and Heathcliff. So yes, I was laid alone for the first time, and rousing from a dismal dose after a night of weeping, I lifted my hand to push the panels aside. It struck the tabletop. I swept it along the carpet, and then memory burst in. My late anguish was swallowed in a paroxysm of despair. I cannot say why I felt so wildly wretched. It must have been temporary derangement, for there is scarcely cause. For there is scarcely cause. Okay, thank you, Emily Bronte, for admitting that we don't know what, what, what? Like, what, 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 what is the cause here? Why are you so deranged? I don't know. Thank you, Emily Bronte, for at least admitting to us that you have no idea. I don't know. I went crazy. I don't know why. I just wrote it. I don't know. It seemed cool. So I wrote it. I just wrote it down. I don't know. It seemed cool. So that's what I wrote. But supposing at 12 years old, I had been wrenched from the heights and every early association and my all in all as Heathcliff was at that time and been converted at a stroke into Mrs. Linton, the lady of Thrushcross Grange, and the wife of a stranger, in exile and outcast thenceforth from what had been my world, you may fancy a glimpse of the abyss where I groveled. Shake your head as you will, Nellie. You have helped to unsettle me. You should have spoken to Edgar, indeed you should, and compelled him to leave me quiet. Oh, I'm burning. I wish I were out of doors. I wish I were a girl again, half savage and hardy and free, and laughing at injuries, not maddening under them. Why am I so changed? Why does my blood rush into a hell of tumult at a few words? I'm sure I should be myself were I once among the heather on those hills. Open the window again wide. Fasten it open. Quick, why don't you move? Well, I mean, she's just kind of laid it out. Okay, I mean, I feel better. Jeez. The fog in my head seems to have cleared somewhat. She's just kind of spelled it out there. How is it? This is not my beautiful wife. This is not my beautiful home. She has spelled it out for us. It is as if I blinked my eyes and one second ago I was my true self. I was my full and complete self with Heathcliff by my side, running through the moors, scratching our knees, laughing at our injuries, half savage and hale and hearty and free. And then I blinked my eyes, and here I am, a prisoner of manners, here in this stuffy home, my life inconsolable, awakened again only with the re-emergence of Heathcliff. And now, my fucking husband is saying, it's me or him. Well, what you're doing is condemning me to death. If you remove him from my life, you may as well be removing my soul from my corporeal existence. I feel like we have cracked the nut here somewhat. This is the sexual problem. It is not only 
that she is in love with Heathcliff. It is that she, in a very real sense, is Heathcliff and is herself at 12 years old. Is that 12-year-old girl with the wind rushing down the moors, blowing into her face with Heathcliff by her side. That is her true self. And over these last seven years, she has been separated from it. It is as if she has been sleepwalking through her life. And it is not only that she has lost Heathcliff, she has lost herself, she has lost her actual nature, her animal self. And this is the sexual problem, not of sex, but of, uh, not of sex in, in the romantic sense, but of sex in the gender sense. The sexual problem is a gender problem. She has been cosseted. She has been laced up, unable to breathe these last seven years. But the strings were drawn so slowly that she did not notice they were her own noose until Heathcliff's reemergence in her life. And to lose that, to be given the choice between going back to, 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 to binding herself again or to living free, but, but truly cutting the apron strings of her life is a, is a kind of impossible choice. And it's, it's put her in a position of uh, an impossible position. She doesn't know how she will live without Heathcliff. She doesn't know how she will live with him. It is more than romance. It is, it is separate from romance, but it encompasses romance. So it's not separate, but romance is only a small component of this. It's deeper than that. The sexual problem is a problem of the ages and of the age. He represents to her freedom, independence, strength, vitality. To lose that is to lose life. I'm frankly exhausted. You know? Let's leave it there. I feel like we've made some real progress. We've really made some headway here today. You know, it felt like we were just we were just on the precipice of something, trying to understand what the hell is this about, and I think we finally figured it out. We finally have a clearer sense of Catherine, and we can contextualize her in a time and place now in a way that I feel like I couldn't quite before. I couldn't quite understand what it was that was propelling that little engine. What kind of moonshine she was imbibing? Well, I think we know now. It is the very elixir of life. And we started by talking about all the stuff that can get you hung over. Well, what is the point of drinking or gambling or drugging or sexing or whatever your vice is? It is ultimately to feel closer to that flickering primal energy. You're trying to touch something, something brighter, sharper, and fierier than yourself. Well, he, Catherine has that with Heathcliff. You know, she's been, she, 
she has been for the last X number of years complacent and quiet and now she has reemerged. Well, I, uh, I'm sweating over here. You know, I'm, I'm, I, need, I mean, I'm, I feel spent. I need a cigarette. Oh, we've just, we've just walked through. We've just walked on coals, hot coals we've walked on here today. And, and I feel pretty good about it. So, you know, an important episode for me, because I feel like I'm, I feel like I, I cracked it open just a little bit. And I feel like I understand it just a little bit now. It's only taken 114 pages, but I feel like I understand it just a little bit better. Thank you, Catherine, for laying it all out there for me so that I could understand, I could figure out why the hell I'm reading this book. I think I know now, and, uh, you know, it makes me excited to pick it up again. Next time, on another uh, empowering episode of Obscure, but until then, I wish you adieu. This season of Obscure is produced by me, Michael Ian Black, and the great Robin Lynn. Our theme song is by Craig Wedren. We rely on you, the listeners, for support. So please, go to patreon.com slash Black. Sign up. There's all kinds of fun stuff. There's goodies. You could join the book club where we get together. We talk about the book that we're reading. Uh, and it's just a fun community. So, you know, head on over to patreon.com slash Black. And I will see you next time.